1: Hello and welcome to episode 44 of the Uncovered Podcast. I'm Baram Kazi. You can find me at Def Mango on Twitter. And with me, of course, is Jared Kimber. You can find him everywhere. And we've got lots to discuss today. We're going to start off with uh, India versus the West Indies. Now, India annihilated the West Indies in the last ODI, winning that series 2-1. But, uh, well, the West Indies have won the first T20Is, that five-match series. And there was a very interesting, oh, well, funny tweet from the Caribbean Cricket Podcast. I- I'm just going to go and paraphrase this. Uh, They said that both Nash and Santoki, I don't know which one it was, but they basically said that India should probably disband into different states and all of them should play individually so that they can have more motivation and that sort of stuff. But on a serious note, Jared, this is a pretty good Indian team, so the West Indies have done quite well over here.
2: Yeah. How excited can we get about T20s at this stage
0: Mm. when
2: we have a World Cup coming up? I mean, you're right, it's, it's not a bad team, so I don't think there's I don't think, I don't want to sit there and go, oh, this, this doesn't count. Um, mm. And I thought West Indies played well at times in in the one days, although obviously it didn't go particularly well towards the end there. Um, mm. But why is it more T20s than one days? Yeah, mm. that's a weird one. In a and World Cup year? that? Why would you do <laughs> that? I just, if you're going to throw three T20s at the end, like, okay, fine. But mm. make the one is the main thing. Um so yeah, I, I found that I found that very random, which is why I probably checked out once. One day is finished a little bit, but look, mm. I think P- uh, Puran made runs
1: in the uh, major league yeah. Uh, final. Yeah, I think it was yeah, yeah, he played a scintillating knock in the major league uh, final, and and he scored runs in both these T20s as well, forty something and then sixty seven. And he's hitting the ball. He's hitting a long ball, very very yeah. mighty hits for six. So that's that's something. And uh, there's a certain point where you don't want to get
2: what's the best way of putting it? Like I think sometimes you watch T20 teams and one-day teams and these sorts of things mm. and we get very, very – and you can go back to the Ashes for this as well. We get very fixated with the fact that one team's playing better than the other and, you know, mm. all these things. But essentially if you get a couple of players in form at the right time, especially in T20 cricket, it makes such a big difference, right? And Perrin mm-hmm. is a fantastic player who is in form – I'm hoping that this is, you know, the, the new Puran that we've seen in mm-hmm. recent times and he'll be able to continue to do that. Um, but when he is playing this good, he's very, very hard to stop. And mm-hmm. he's someone who has probably, he's probably on phase three of his career by this stage. Mm-hmm. You know, he started off as an underdeveloped player who probably just didn't play enough cricket. Mm-hmm. He then exploded when he, he found form. Uh, And then after that, he had to go through that whole period where people kind of knew where to bowl to him. And now he's Mm -hmm. in that phase three of he has worked on his game and it's a bit more rounded. Um, So I'm really happy that he's doing that. But I I don't know how I I should ask you, because I've been off Twitter because I've been on holidays for a couple of days.
1: Has Indian Twitter Do they care? Indian cricket, Twitter, I should say. I mean, they do, but they also do not. Because again, T20s are not that big a deal. But if you look at it from like a macro lens, if you look at this entire tour, they drew a test match. They Mm -hmm. lost an ODI. Now they've lost 220. So out of those one, two, five, seven games, they've won three. And that is a bit of a, you know, talking point with an Indian cricket, at least on Twitter. And um, I mean, I don't think they need to hit the panic button right away, but there have been some weird things in this series, at least the T21. Yusvindra Chahal has been amongst the wickets, right? He's taken two wickets in each game, and he's looked good. I know he can get tonked a bit every now and then, but he is that wicking, wicket-taking uh, you know, option for Hardik Pandya. But he hasn't been bowled his full quota in both those games, so three overs each in those two games, and I think that is a bit of a blunder by Captain Pandya. Yeah.
2: Um- yeah I, I find that I, I i still think I'm just having a look at the full team so mm. so what Hardik took the new ball in the late latest game didn't he mm. got three wickets he he did um mm. I mean he's not going to do that in a World Cup is he nope so my question would be what is the point of him doing that? would they not mm. be better off having a look at someone else um asked he, ball from the other end um, I mean that's fine he's probably penciled in for the next t20 world cup let's say yeah um, mukesh kumar i think they just want to have a look at him right see mm-hmm. what level of a player he is again more than fine that that's what these games should be for right yeah if india lost the, is it five nil or is it three is it th- it is it's, five isn't it
1: yeah it's five t20s and west indies have won the first two yeah so if they lose all five
2: and they work out Something about someone like Mukesh Kumar—that's mm. that would be absolutely fine from my point of view. They they played Bishnoi, um, mm-hmm. and then as you said, Chahal didn't bowl his full. So if you just look at it from a bowling perspective, um, I don't think I don't think Hardik's ever going to bowl as an opening bowler in that kind of situation for them. Mm. Also, I don't think it's playing to his strengths or their strengths of how they use him. Mm. Um, it, perhaps it's just, you know, the way that they wanted to bring Mukesh in and everything else. But the child thing is really interesting because for me, I kind of think what they need between now and the next World Cup. So mm. let's say T20 World Cup for the sake of argument here. But I kind of think what they need is for child to bowl as many international balls as possible, right? Mm-hmm. In as many different situations as possible. Um, he's, I, I said this before, I think he might actually be the best strike bowler from overseas that's ever played, sorry, it, it, from India that's ever played in the IPL. It's probably mm-hmm. been some strike bowlers have come in occasionally and had a good couple of years. But over a long period of time, his, his strike capability is unlike anyone else. As you said, he could go for runs, but he also doesn't go for that many runs. Like, nope. I don't really see the holdout nature when it comes to Chahal. I, I, you know, I don't I,
1: understand I, the lack of trust, right? Because he yeah. wasn't on the Indian team when they played that 2021 T20 World Cup in the US. You'd think that they'd play Chahal in the UAE and now they're going to play in the West Indies next year in in the USA. I would have him penciled in as one of the first names on the team sheet, but it doesn't seem like India trusts him like that. No, I I was trying
2: to think of who I was talking to recently. I was talking to someone recently about, you know, that, that India is still in that point of their cricket where they're trying to mitigate risks. Mm-hmm. And I understand it, but I don't think that that's necessarily how you win World Cups. So if you look at, I, th- I think there's been a misunderstanding of New Zealand and Pakistan. So obviously, mm-hmm. yeah, Pakistan won the Champions Trophy and then won, uh, so made uh one final since then. Is that right? Two finals, since
1: yeah. Then. No. no,
2: one semi-final, one final, one semi-final, one final. Yep. Hmm. Um, and New Zealand obviously, uh, hasn't won anything, but has made a bunch of finals. And I think hmm. there are some people that look at the Indian team, but I think this is the case from within Indian cricket at times. They look at the Indian team and they sort of say things along the lines of, yeah, oh, up yeah, yet, you know, New Zealand hmm. has a bunch of anchors and they do great, but New Zealand have anchors. And then on the other side of the ball, they have strike bowlers, hmm. right? And if you look at Pakistan, it's exactly the same. Now I, you and I would probably still, think that there are issues within that and that both of those things mm-hmm. can play slightly differently. But on one side of the ball, you're giving yourself a really good chance of putting a dent in the opposition. You look at India's team over and over again and you're like, well, what side... Are they going to bat teams out of... Uh, the best teams in the world. Not, not mm. the average team. best teams in the world. They're going to bat many of the best teams in the world out of the game. Very yeah. rare that you see India do that. All right, It's very rare that you mm. see India against a good bowling attack
1: stu- play one of those England-type innings, right? Mm. Just Even in these guys. games, the starts yeah. were sluggish and you've got the players who shouldn't be sluggish, right? You've got Shubman Gill, you've got Ishan Kishin. They should be going all out attack. I don't understand yeah. why they're taking so much time to just get set and then not making the most of it also. Yeah, and 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 then you've got the,
2: the bowling. It's really, really defensive bowlers. I always think that is, they're two different issues. And I'm, I'm, look, maybe they come from all the same thing. Uh, mm. But there are two different issues and there is something that is, I don't think completely lines up perfectly. the The other thing I would say, just to go back to the the losses so far in in mm. in this uh, tournament, is you know, R Ashwin, and I don't know if this was a recent thing, but it popped up on one of the social medias in the last you know week or so, was him talking about how the Indian public need to get behind the team and everything. Mm. And I still, I uh, he's one hundred percent right in that they need to understand what winning in modern cricket looks like, and it isn't mm. beating. As you, what do you say? One win, one draw, uh, two wins, one loss. Um, in the audience, right? Yeah. Uh, for me, if Jaiswal is as good as we think he is and he has come through and feels really comfortable already in international cricket, that mm. test series is a win. One day cricket, they were just trying to, trying a bunch of role players in different positions to see how they yeah. will go. Again, they won the series, but it's not the end of the day, uh, the end of the world. And here again, mm-hmm. they're having a look at more and more players, right? Yeah. Uh, in, in in newer roles and different kinds of roles perhaps than, than they're used to playing, which is what happens in World Cups. You sometimes have to fill a gap. So the, the mm. point would be that this could be a successful series for India and not look like mm. it from a wins and losses perspective. And that, I think that's what Ashwin was trying to say. But the truth is that while he's 100% right, Indian mm. cricket public and the Indian public at large are not going to change now, right? Mm. They're not going to suddenly start going, oh, actually you know, they're giving Mukesh Kumar a run, right? And yeah. we lose a couple of games here. That's fine because, you know, he's only played, what, 10 IPL games, uh, you know, so far. We need to know more of him coming into perhaps the ODI World Cup but certainly hmm. the T20 World Cup next year. They're not going to care about that. They're going to care about whether their team wins or <laughs> loses, right? And I do think that from that perspective, there is a there is a, a problem, uh, a um. A miscalculation and uh, uh, a lack of understanding from the Indian team that like, it's not going to change, right? Hmm. They are the ones who need to work out how to handle this better. And the conversation I once had about all this sort of stuff was Raul Dravid, who I remember, I can't remember what year this was, but it would have been around the time I was working with him at Crick Info. And Mm -hmm. I think he was still, no, he must have still been playing at the time. Mm -hmm. He must have still been playing. And he was saying that the young players kept coming to him, showing him tweets. Of what fans mm. are saying. And him being like, why are you reading these tweets? Like, why <laughs> yeah. do you care? What re- Like, if you think someone's an expert or mm. they're a former player that you respect or, you know, they've had something to do with your career or they, you know, maybe they coached you at one point or, you know, it's an analyst you like or a writer that you mm. respect, whatever. He's like, okay, you can, you know, get involved with that and, and move on other than that, like, what, why do you care about these people? And I still think there's an element of that there that I'm hoping these sort of tours, I mean, this one is almost played in the dark, right? Like, most mm. Indians aren't even awake. They're just getting the results, I suppose, for some of these games right. and, and, and then going out from that point. Oh, well,
1: view, the T20s, they actually have great timing, right? Because they start in the evening. Oh, they're and playing they can those weird
2: like, times, aren't they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah of I course, forgot yeah. about the old uh, West Indian, <laughs> uh, Indian stuff. But, but I mean, the whole series, as you know, mm. uh, you know. so it allows you to actually do that sort of stuff. but. Yeah, I th- I do think from that perspective that you have to be. I, I think that there's actually going back to that old role driver Sachin Tendulkar. I, I remember there's a story yeah. with Justin Langer sort of saying to Sachin Tendulkar like how how do you how do you be you like hmm. and, and, and Sachin's like oh I don't read the newspaper and Justin's like yeah <laughs> but, like you still hear things like hmm. that doesn't stop it coming to you. Um, and I just think that that previous generation, and some of this is the players weren't on social media, there wasn't twenty four mm. hour rolling news coverage. Uh, you know, their lives were they weren't connected to brands and 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 all mm. that sort of stuff. And I do think that is a big big part of of everything that's changed. Um, but there has to be a point at which you have to say, well, I'm an Indian cricketer and I'm good enough to be here, and I'm going to work on my game and you know spend all this time on playing it. I don't really care what. Crick Ecstasy has written, right? yeah. I don't care about what, you know, Vinesh um, <laughs> Mukherjee has written on, oh, right. you know, Not you bad. Know, I don't care what Indi- uh, Indian superfan77643 um, <laughs> has put up on a YouTube video, right? Like, you have to be smarter. And I do think that all of that plays a part. Um, and so, again, I wouldn't be as worried about this sort of stuff as I'm sure maybe some experts will be. My biggest concern, if I was with Indian cricket right now, I promise you, Baron, my biggest concern would be, why are we playing more T20s than
1: ODIs? I literally, yeah. that, I'd be leading every meeting with that until they kick me out. And especially when you're the BCCI, you get to basically call the shots with respect to those things, right? I mean, I it doesn't so. matter. You literally tell or make that sort of series to order in terms of what sort of games and how many you want to play. And uh, I mean, it's interesting the point you've raised because the whole social media navigation bit, it's a very challenging thing for cricketers who are <laughs> young just coming in and particularly South Asian cricketers because you know how South Asian Twitter can be. It can be quite toxic and challenging and you have tons of things if, if you deep uh, dive down deep into it. There's so many uh, things in, in well, words that you'd be better off not reading. So, I mean, it's definitely, I think a you're challenge.
2: right. I take it another step too. I think the Royal Dravid story, I remember saying to him that isn't it these if these guys grew up on social media, hmm. like it's kind of not maybe part of their identity is the wrong way of looking at it. But Joffrey Archer is a, he's a perfect example. He's a tweeter, yeah. <laughs> That's his thing, right? A Mystic
1: and, tweeter. He he, uh, has some funny ones in there that come true later on.
2: And I think there are some players that have gone off social media, especially off Mm. Twitter, who they went on it, got themselves in a bit of trouble, didn't really Mm. enjoy it that much and left. It's not a big deal for them to leave. I don't think it's a big deal for Mitchell Marsh to leave Twitter, right? Mm. But I think there are a lot of players who do grow up on Twitter, right? And at a young age, they're involved with that sort of stuff. And I'm just using Twitter as a catch-all here. It could be Mm. any of these, you know. Back when I started, players would quite often comment on cricket with balls and other cricket blogs, right? Under fake <coughs> names quite often. It's not, this is not a new thing. It's just mm. that the technology changes and the, the world changes with it. But I do think from that perspective of like, you have to work out how to deal with all those sorts of things. Yeah. And it's, a, but it's this, this to bring it back to the Royal Dravid thing, Royal Dravid has to work out how to deal with it as well because he has mm-hmm. to do two things at the same time. He actually yeah. does need to play the modern game a little bit mm. right he needs to say uh look you're you, we're, obviously we're still going for the results we were on it whenever game while at the same time completely thinking how do we set this team up so that they win a bunch of games in world cups
1: right also there's another thing to this i just had that thought that even if you take yourself off twitter you've got your friends and family on whatsapp and someone inevitably will send you a screenshot that hey look this person is saying
2: xyz i I'm not going to name the person, but very recently, a uh, someone in the media got a message from a I don't know family member or a friend that was mm. positive about a player.
0: Mm.
2: And They were saying, "Oh, I should should show this player this," and I said, "No." And they were like, "What do you mean?" And I said, "Because the only reason that this person has sent you this message is because mm. there is currently a negative feeling about this player, mm. right? And so even when you send them the positive message, they're going to be like, "Oh, great, your great aunt is." you know, a big fan of my, you know, bowling or batting or, you know, wicket-keeping, whatever it was. Um, It does. So it doesn't work that way. And as you said, it gets to them anyway. That's Mm. why I I very rarely send players um, stuff, uh, you know, Mm. whether it be good or bad. The other thing I try not to do in general is contact a player after a very good day or after a very bad day because after a very bad day, they probably just don't want to hear anything from anyone. And after a very good day everyone's on the bandwagon. So if I'm going to send them a message, it might just be like a week and a half later about something random mm. that I wanted to, you know, chat to them about or whatever. But you're right. They do find it. Now I think that's the Justin Langer point, right? Which mm. is, he, yeah, you didn't write, read the newspaper, Sachin, but people are still going to yeah. tell you what every newspaper article around you was written, a, a, you know, had in it. So I, I do think it's a very interesting one. I don't think this is just a cricket thing. Obviously, I think this is the mm-hmm. case right across all professional sports. I mean, Kevin Durant yeah. had a burner Twitter account, right? Um, yeah. Uh, you know, and um, you know, I suppose you could argue that Stuart Broad had one at one stage, or was <laughs> roughly involved with one as well. So these things do exist, um, and they are out there. I think India, obviously, is just is going through it almost like everything in cricket. Now, India has to mm-hmm. go through it in in a very different way than everyone else does, mm-hmm. and and I also think that. I don't think Indian cricket, and I'm not saying any other board does this particularly well, but I don't mm. think Indian cricket does very well at training the players for what is about to happen.
1: Right. Right. I so, mean, I can tell you that Pakistan doesn't do a good job over there either. And you could argue that those are the two countries where you need to probably give them a bit of extra exactly, training just right? to deal with that sort of stuff.
2: Yeah. So I mean, you could you could throw in all the subcontinental sides, I suppose, to a certain point. But even New Zealand, if you're a New Zealand cricketer and you suddenly you know, and you make 300s on the trot, right. Hmm. You're going to, it's going to be the all blacks in you as the two major stories. Unless Steven Adams, you know, gets kicked yeah. in the dick by Draymond Green in the NBA. Right? <laughs> like you're going to be the major story for that next little while. And, you know, hmm. the same with Zimbabwe and some of these other countries. And, you know, you, there are certain athletes who are working on it. Like, um, I suppose Presley Shaw is a really good example of someone Mm. who is very famous at a very young age, right? Mm. And he will he gets step by step by step. But then there are other athletes, you know, especially uh, you know within cricket, and now because of the IPL and the PSL is probably another example of that. Of Mm -hmm. no one was really talking about this. Oh my God, they're the most famous person in the country for five (laughs) minutes, right? And and I do think that that is not particularly uh, well worked out. I remember they used to have this rule in Australian cricket where they used to talk about everyone played I think it was their first 10 or 12 tests for the badge right Mm. and then after that you play for your mortgage right (laughs) and this is Australian cricket which is supposed to be more team orientated than other places now you throw in franchise cricket right and you know you've got you've got players who refuse to do things in games um, Mm. because it will not look good on them for the next franchise gig and and all this sort of stuff um and then you've got a new, you know, an Indian legend coming to you and asking you to play out of position. There's just a lot going on in, in fame, in brands, Hmm. in in 24 hour news, in social media that I don't think the former players are perhaps brilliantly set up. And I don't know what, I don't know what these sorts of things are, but at a certain point, if you want your players to perform the best they can at in, in, especially in the world cup games, you got to work this out. Right. And yeah, you know, it's, no different than, you know, we did the Steve Smith episode and I can't remember if I told you this or if it, I think it was in the article, but, um, you know, I went to the e- ECB and I said, do you guys hire sleep specialists? And they were like, hmm. what? What's No. They <laughs> hadn't thought of it. Now, it's possible that they hadn't had a player come to them with that specific issue before. Mm-hmm. But I also remember my my wife saying uh, years ago, how often do players get their eyes tested, right? How often do batters get their eyes tested? There are certain Great. things that you... Well, one day we know that that will happen more and more, right? Mm. Because we saw the whole Ross Taylor thing. You know that you know Mike Hussey went through a really bad period. Michael Vaughan went through a really bad period, and you do wonder if even if it's just independently, these players are looking after themselves the way that they should be. And fame is a part of that, right? You know, I, 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 you would know as you know uh, the rock star that you are can't walk down the street, um, (laughs) in the right kinds of middle class uh, neighborhoods in Pakistan, uh, you know. It, it does affect you and it does change the mm. way that you do things. And uh, it does it it does bring on a different kind of pressure. And if you're only being a, a big IPL player mm. and then suddenly you're in something else, and in the old days, it would take a while for your face to filter through. Mm-hmm.
0: Right?
2: So, you know, I've been around cricketers in their first test matches i mean my, my favorite story is ed cowan who hmm. was at the mcg signing autographs before all well, his first test i want to say against india
0: mm-hmm.
2: went down to south bank uh uh to i think it might have been we might have been shooting death with gentlemen at the time. maybe it was just having a coffee hmm. or whatever it was and he said to me you see those kids over there i was like yeah he said i just signed their autograph and they don't know who i am and they just they did <laughs> they just all walked past him because the face hadn't filtered through Right. Social media doesn't allow for that, right? Like hmm. it, everything we know, whatever, you know, we know what random players look like, let alone hmm. when someone becomes a star, we, we'd be yeah. able to, you know, pick them up. I just think there's a lot of things that are different. And I really believe that most of these cricket boards are, it, I say setting teams up to fail. I think that's the wrong way of putting it or setting players up to fail. I think the best way of putting it is whose job is it in any cricket board? National Cricket Board on earth, Mm. put their IPL, PSL, Major League, whichever franchise, Big Bash on Mm. earth, whose job is it to make sure that all the correct decisions are being made in Mm. order to get the most out of your players? And I know that that's not a job at the BCCI, right? And even someone like Rob Key, who is, you know, General Manager of English Cricket, whatever his title is, Mm. he's not going through all those individual things at the moment. Um, I think England cricket is maybe one of the better ones of having, you know, the back, that, you know, the, the backroom staff available for you. But m- I wouldn't even think if England aren't, haven't thought of sleep specialists yet, they're not. Hmm. So what well, me isn't an, an NBA fan knows about this and they haven't thought about it as a professional team who travels around the world
1: and plays day night games. Also oh, England, England is allowing Ollie Robinson to write for wisdom. So I mean, that's an entirely separate <laughs> conversation, but very it's fair. interesting. It's interesting because the BCCI in India in particular, they're big on marketing and brand building, right? So maybe sometimes that gets too much and the players are not able to perform or you aren't getting able to get their utility to 100%. But um, here's an interesting one. Harsha Bhogale, one of the most respected voices in Indian cricket, he raised concerns over India's ability to hit big in the lower order. Now, do you think that is a problem? Because all these guys play the IPL and they're more than capable of hitting a six. Yeah, I don't
2: think... They produce a lot of. I don't know who would you put out there. Marcus Stoinis, Kyron Pollard, um,
1: mm. Bondi is one of them.
2: Yeah, no, no, I think he's quite mm. good. But the thing is, he's been moved up the order anyway. Yeah, I think, I think, I, Colonel th- and and Hardik had the potential. I think Colonel's bowling's just not good enough. Although he's, yeah, I, know, I think he had a good year again last year. Um. But they don't produce a lot of those. Like if you look at Australia, right across the big bash, there's always a guy who can bat six or seven who can come in and just muscle sixes. Hmm. And I think that – th- I think I was asked this on Wagon Wheel last week. Uh, India has a lot of players who can strike brilliantly. But the difference hmm. between a strike player uh, and a player who can muscle the ball – is that those those guys who are really, really strong, those Lance klusner type hitters are mm. gonna get the ball to the boundary one way or another, anyway. There's a strike player who really has to hit the ball off the middle of the bat. And mm. I think it's something like you get you hit one boundary for every three-year attempt in T20 cricket or something along those lines. And so you really want the players who are at two and a half just because they get the extra, you know, the have the extra mm. size or muscle. And obviously, West Indies was the team that was most famous for this, but you look at, um, South Africa, you look at Australia, New Zealand. I think there's a lot of teams that produce that kind of cricketer more readily mm. than India. India's, India's players are really good strikers, which means you can have a, like a Tuatia, like innings occasionally mm. or, um, or someone else. Hardick's the one that is a little bit different for me. I don't, I don't always understand his hitting compared to like let's say the England sort of more muscular style of hitting. They hit mm. it more like a, you know, hockey shot or a golf shot or a baseball shot. And Hardick's a little bit more of a conventional cricket slogger. Um yeah. but but it seems to work for him. But even if you say they've got him, who's the next four best players they have in that spot? They try they can't they tried someone like Deepakuda, who's probably not quite that kind of hitter. Mm-hmm. Krunel is probably not quite on that level. Um uh, you've got I mean, a
1: good like, hit big.
2: Yeah. So, Jadeja is a really, really interesting player um, in that he turned himself into that kind of player very, very late. Mm. Uh, you know, because he wasn't he wasn't actually a particularly good T20 batter. But, you know, mm. Sanjay Madrake was very, very accurate with him. But <laughs> but even then, I think in Jadeja, you probably have someone who, again, is more of a very good striker. He's mm. what Jadeja's bringing at is his ability to pick the right ball to hit. I think hmm. that's very, very different than uh, than some of those stronger, uh, you know, big hitting type players that you see, you like
1: know. a Tim David or someone.
2: Tim David or like hmm. even someone like Ben Cutting, who's not even anywhere near hmm. as Tim David, right? I, I kind of feel like every big bash team could find at least a second rate version of of Ben Cutting. Whereas if you look at the IPL, they really struggle for those kinds of players, right? You know, right. Th- you know, finding that kind of hitting power whereas you always there's a Corey Anderson and a you know a Jimmy Nisham mm. kind of around every rock True. in New Zealand and Even so Jameson can hit a big bot, right he, he can yeah like big and, well. and you go to uh, Dwayne Pretorius and and those mm. sorts of you know pestlaqueo right bigger stronger bodies for whatever reason we haven't seen as many of those come through in yeah. India and and they don't seem to produce and it's not just India you could probably throw in Modern Pakistan here. I think yeah. even Sri Lanka has struggled to find mm. those sorts of five, well, not five, but five, six, seven, eight type hitting players. Uh, Bangladesh has never really had them either. So mm. I don't know if it's something to do with Asian batting um, in general, you know, or whether it's it's something else. I I don't know because if you look at a lot of those guys, like Cutting was kind of a bowler, although mm. really bowl. Darren Sammy was kind of a, a a bowler who ended up becoming a specialist batter. Um, you know, Tim David, uh, is, uh, you know, still was bowling some kind of, um, deliveries early on, although I, th- I think you'd have to argue he was a batter more. Um, Corey Anderson was a batter who they tried to make into a bowler. <laughs> hmm. Jimmy is a batter. They tried to make into a bowler. I do think there's a lot more of those sorts of big bodied all rounders, uh, that maybe end up just becoming great hitters on, Un- you know, the Andre Russell type, uh, hmm. uh format of player from those places but it's a really interesting one because it doesn't make as much sense to me that you don't have those kinds of athletes you know in in Sri Lanka when um uh Dasun Shanaka came through like you're looking at him going well he should be that kind of player but then you yeah. watch him and he doesn't ha- he doesn't make the sort of contact that some of the- he can hit sixes but he doesn't make that kind of regular contact right which is it's a really important part of it and again to me, he's probably more like a striker who can hit the odd big six mm. rather than anything else. So I, I don't I don't know how you change that um, mm. uh, coming through. It, it it feels like to me that there's something missing there from that. But I don't think they necessarily... I don't even think, you know, I mean, um, what was his name? He played for Pakistan who couldn't bowl, but slog sixes all the time. Asif Ali, right? Yeah. You should be still making more of those sorts of players out there. And India did have mm. Yusuf Patan, right? Yes, they did. They still have had, and, and we've already talked about Hardik as well. Mm. They still have had some of these players here, but there, there doesn't seem to be the conveyor belt that some of the other nations seem mm-hmm. to find with that. And I don't know what it is overall of, you know, if, if it's something to do with coaching, if it's something to do with the way that bowlers are trained in in mm. overseas places, you know, that... It does feel like there aren't as many Mitchell Stark type players in India that their bowlers are more one dimensional, right? Right. Even if they can bat, it's like, what's the best? They're like Buvi Kumar type players where they're actually mm. quite traditional. Whereas Mitchell Stark, Mitchell Johnson, those sorts of guys, probably not quite all rounders, but not massively far off being all rounders in certain format. Where you're yeah. just like, yeah, they can bat, but actually their best utility is probably just coming in and slogging it, right? Hmm. And uh, this is such a random one, but the, the harshest point is so interesting. The cricketer I'm going to mention here is going to blow your mind. But I think one of the most interesting cricketers that I followed in T20 cricket was Ben Hilfenhaus. Ah, right. Interesting. Who couldn't, who, who didn't have, by the time T20 really became a major thing, like, ben, young Ben Hilfenhaus was bowling early 90 miles an hour outswing, basically unplayable, mm. right? By the time he got to international level, that was about 89 miles an hour. By the time we saw him play a lot, it was about 85 miles an hour. He just wasn't <laughs> the, 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 the physical specimen he was. And so in T20 cricket, he struggled a little bit. You know, he'd swing the new ball a little bit. It wasn't a great death bowler. Where did he fit in? He just went off and worked on, and Sunil Narayan did a very similar thing of, right. can I hit sixes, right? Can I hit two sixes, uh, every six balls i I managed to stay out there um uh, the West indies um obed Bakoy, very similar mm-hmm. type of player right they 're not even trying to be batters yeah. they 're not actually working on batting skills at all even Shaheen and Nassim for Pakistan, very similar sort of Shaheen story. it was another one that came to my mind right of hmm. Shaheen's never probably going to be a batter, right but hmm. he has worked on this specific skill very, very close Other than shadul right you 've got the You've got the slogging tail enders, hmm. right? That's not quite what we're talking about here. We're talking about taking your... We haven't seen an Indian player do what Pat Cummins did, hmm. right? Which is essentially just work on his batting until it wasn't a liability. It's not an all-rounder. He averages, what, 16 to 18 in test matches, mm-hmm. but with a very good defense. And in T20 cricket, you bowl length to him, he can whack it, right? If it's yeah. pace bowling, he can whack it. We haven't seen that a lot in Indian cricket so far, you know? Mm-hmm. So we see these guys come in and they have no, no batting skill to speak of, and they don't generally get better in key measurable skills. They might've mm. gone from Boomer of being absolutely horrendous to being, you know, a better tailender. but you're not going to use Boomer as a pinch hitter, right? Whereas Pat Cummins <laughs> can do that, right? You know, yeah. you're not going to, you're not going to send Boomer up if you need, you know, two sixes and an over, whereas, mm. you know, Ben McCoy or Ben Hilfenhaus or those sorts of hitters, you might do that with on occasion, right? Hmm. Mitch McLennigan was another one. He was another good one yeah. for that, who would do it occasionally. I just think that there is something within all of that, um, you know, uh, from from Harsher and everything else. I don't know how we've ended up talking about this for so long, but you you tickled
1: me. Don't I mean, I would actually challenge Harsha that, sure, I think where this is stemming from is in the first T20, he or well, not he, India required 37 of 30 with a well-set Hardik Pandya at the crease mm-hmm. and they couldn't finish the job. It went to the last ball. They couldn't win it. And then in the second one, they probably left a few runs out there and then West Indies chased it. But I would argue that I think West Indies has quite a decent attack in T20 cricket. Akilo Sen is brilliant with the new ball. I think Obed McCoy, Alzari Joseph, Romario Shepard, the death bowler, these are all good resources to have. And Jason Holder actually bowled really, really well in these games. So, this is not like a pedestrian attack that you're coming up against. And on these slow sort of surfaces where the ball isn't as straightforward to hit, it's a handful to strike versus these guys. So I would say credit to the West Indies. And I mean, sure, we talk about Nicholas Puran and the difference that he makes to mm. any West Indies unit, unit, particularly when he's in this kind of form. But that bowling attack would give most sides a good run for their money. Yeah, it's...
2: <sighs> I like Akilah and I like Obed McCoy. Azari Joseph and Jason Holder and Romario R- Shepherd probably depends on the day a little bit more, mm. right? O- of how that, that all fits together. Um, but I think Akilah Saint and Obed McCoy are certainly well above average bowling mm. talents in, in, in that kind of a league, uh, well, not league, but in that kind of level of cricket. Mm. I don't think that takes away. Uh, look, you might be right. Harsha might have just seen that and uh, overreacted to that. Don't think mm. that takes away from the overall point of. Yeah. We that haven't blend seen... A cricketer,
1: right? Yeah. Vicky Ayer,
2: right? Hmm. He's a really, really weird one. I find him fascinating because when hmm. he came in, everyone was incredibly um, fascinated with him, you know, and they were talking him up, right? Yeah. And I just want to... Let me see if I can find his IPL stats here. And I was looking at him going, am I missing something? Like he's an <laughs> anchor with a worse technique than most of the Indian anchors. But Mm. I think because he looked like he was trying to slog so much, right? That there was a, there was almost like this, this fandom that built up around him. And last Mm. year was the first year where I was like, ah, okay, this is nice. I think I just had a look last year. He averaged 28 strike rate of 145. First year, he averaged 41 strike rate of 128. Mm. That's fine. 28 with a strike rate of 145 for me is a far more interesting stat line um, of of the kind of player that he can play. And it was the first time. But I remember watching him and I thought that it's almost like people weren't realizing that he had a very low strike rate. Because if you Mm. watch him, it looks like he's trying to attack really, really often, right? And that's probably why he failed a little bit in the second season. He's not a great player, right? He's probably not an international quality player consistently. Not that he can't um, pinch it, uh, you know, uh, in certain roles at certain times, but I don't think he's ever going to have like a three or four-year career, you know, inside Mm. the Indian team. But the reason he stood out for me was just the fact that he showed, even when he was scoring slowly, he showed a lot of intent. And Mm. I still don't see a lot of Indian players playing in that particular way. And I think that's where they need to go to if they're Mm. going – or, or they need strike bowlers. They can go in the yeah. direction they want. I'd prefer to do both, but they Fair might enough. not want to do both, right? Yeah. But essentially, I think that's the sort of thing that, that you, you are looking for is the sort of players who come in and just, uh, are trying to attack a lot. And I think what happens is, I mean, Hardik is a perfect example. You're talking about him as a, you know, number five or number six, number seven who comes in and smashes it. He's been hmm. a fucking anchor for the last two years, right? <laughs> Yeah. How do you take your best, most your your best hitter since
1: Kapaldevi? You want to say Sehwag or Dhoni?
2: No, maybe? so I say I think Dhoni is a Donny was a calculated batter who could hit. Hmm. Sewag was a batter who struck very quick. I uh-huh. think Kapil Dev is maybe the last guy who came in <laughs> in that middle order who could just. It didn't matter who the bowling attack was. Hmm. He had the ability to clear the boundary and score at a rate that no one else did. Hardik was that player. If he ends up as a... Venki Aya? <laughs> not even Venki though, is he? He was more, way more defensive than than, than, than um, uh, Venki was, right? If he ends up as that kind of player, is there not a bigger issue, right? So you just said that they've made two of them, him and Judasia, and they've lost one already. I yeah. just find the whole thing is, and I've watched Hardik, remember was was it in the world cup and i was watching him play and they you know obviously he was playing that enforcer Mm. role in the middle in the lower order again and he looked like it wasn't his game anymore it looked like he Mm. had moved on and so uh, look I, i find that whole thing really really interesting that there's something within indian cricket that makes everyone end up being an anchor batter whether they're supposed yeah. to be or not. And it's, you know, you could, you want to go back, you mentioned Saywag, you go back to Saywag, right? Of Saywag wasn't thought of as a great ODI player. And mm-hmm. I've written it because you've heard people say it so many times. You have a look at those stats and you're just like, mm-hmm. what are we talking about? Right. And if Saywag had those stats for another team, he would have been thought of as an all time. Great. Right. Yes. As an example, right. So uh, Let's do it. Let's do this right here and right now. Are we comparing
1: uh, Sanat Jai Surya to Virenda Seva? Yeah, what because doing? I think this
2: is <laughs> a really, really interesting one. So, Viru in ODI cricket. And remember, Sanath is a better bowler. I just want to throw that of out. Of course.
1: He's got 300 plus wickets in ODI. So, yeah, 100% and, adds more utility that way.
2: Viru. Uh, batting average of 35, strike rate of 104.
1: Mm-hmm. All right. Sanat's so strike rate probably would be a bit lower. Sorry, what was that, mate? I'm, I'm saying Sanat's strike rate is probably going to be a bit lower because he was... Well, or maybe not. Let's see. I'm keen. 32 average strike rate of 91. Ah. So very, very comparable. Add his bowling to that. And you could say... Even yeah, even yeah. Perhaps? I mean, he's bowling, he's bowling yeah. great,
2: but he's a lot slower right, mm. than, than Vero in that situation. And he averages less, Right? Yeah. So and he's not the only one to have this happen to. I've I've talked about Andrew Simons before. Hmm. Andrew Simons is sort of is a very middling ODI player, right? Really? Whereas Michael Bevan is still seen as this god. And you go back and you have a I, look at their numbers.
1: Trust me and, that no Pakistan fan will ever think well that they, Andrew Simons is a middling player. <laughs> at least I mean they got that
2: they got that breakthrough innings that kind of built hmm. his
1: career on, right?
2: But the the point is again that there is an issue here, I think, with how India is looking at success of their players. Mm. You still have to average... It, it was the same with Vero as it is now, but you still have to average 55, right, to be thought of as a really high-functioning batter. That's mm. not how these games were played in the 90s when Sanath was doing it, let yeah. alone now. And I think that that is an issue. And I and I think Australia has had a similar issue Um mm. And the only thing that's overcome Australia is probably just having, you know, stronger players who have batting skills. So Lynn, hmm. Stoyness, Dunk, those sorts of guys who are just, I mean, those, those guys are just monsters, right? So, yeah. it, you know, it, that is a different situation than you find yourself in India, I think in general.
1: Anyway, anyway that well, was the one-
2: longest opening to this show we've <laughs> ever had.
1: Just one final thought, because I can't not talk about this guy, you know, if we're talking about India. Tilak Verma made his debut in international cricket. Second ball he faces, smashes it for six. Really, really attractive left-hander. Has converted that success for the Mumbai Indians in his national colours. And he was India's best batter by a mile, right? He scored, what, 51 and 39, and he looked pretty good. Do you think that he belongs to this level? Um, I need to say a little bit more. I, I think he's hmm. a really, really
2: interesting player, Um Overall, because I kind of feel like I think it was the first year. I'm just trying to have a look at his record here. Yeah, first year averaged 36 with a strike rate of 131, Mm. and then what I'm trying to remember is when was he born? 2002. So that's a good that's a good middling uh, Mm. sort of numbers. But he he went up in strike rate and in um, average last year. So he averaged 43 with a strike rate of 164. I I would like to. (laughs) I don't feel any different with him than I do with Chris Shaw or Shubman mm. Gill or a lot of those guys. If this is what you think is going to get you to a point where you could score 240 in a T20 game,
0: mm. then
2: these are the sorts of players that you should be investing in. If you want to be the sort of team who can score those sorts of amounts, you know, that sort of England level yeah. of T20 team. Um, And if not, <clears throat> breed as many strike bowlers as possible and go the other way around. So... If they do think he is that player, I really like what I've seen from him so far. You know, obviously I think there's always a, in India, as try and get as many left handers in as Mm. possible, just because they don't have as many as perhaps some of the other countries do. Mm -hmm. Um, so when you do have someone who can, you know, uh, play as a left hander and is exciting, I think it's always worth giving them even more time. I don't know how sold I am on him right at the moment just mm. from, you know, what is he, 20? As I say, he was 21. Um, but I would play him as much as possible. Um, and mm-hmm. I wouldn't get in that sort of situation where he plays 10 games, they don't go very well, and he disappears back into the system, You know, like what happened with be Shaw. I think yeah. they have to get to a point where they have to start backing their own selections. And, mm. you know, if, if someone plays bad for 10 games, they put, you know, Kane Williamson averaged, what, 30 after how many test matches? Barbers really, was quite
1: poor as well. Bubba was
2: terrible, right? Mm. Uh I think uh, uh averaged the 30 for his first 12 or 15 test matches as well. Mm. Not everyone just hits test or uh, in, well, international cricket running, right? The mm. fact that he has I think buys him more time from a PR perspective, but yeah. I would be looking at him well beyond
1: PR. Mm-hmm. I, I mean same because he was in that sort of recovery sort of mode when he was playing for Mumbai in this IPL because they didn't have great starts and he mm. would Get them to respectable totals. I think if he can be that crisis man for India in T20 cricket, and then if the run rate is good and he just needs to come out and attack, I think his game suits that as well. So I think India definitely have, you know, found or unearthed another really, really good cricketer over here. But that's enough for India and the West Indies. We're going to take a break. This is Bairam Kazi, and with me is Jared Kimber. You're watching the Uncovered Podcast, and we'll be back with you shortly.
2: Get ready to take charge of your favorite leagues in Wicket Cricket Manager. Control the game, buy and sell players, and train them to victory. Play against friends, strangers, or challenge yourself. With your cricket knowledge, become the master on the pitch of Wicket Cricket Manager.
0: Breast milk science—it's a thing, and it's our thing. We're ByHeart. We're an infant formula company on a mission to get a lot closer to the most super super food on the planet, breast milk. Our patented protein blend has more of the important and most abundant proteins found in breast milk. We're the first and only U.S.-made formula to use organic, grass-fed whole milk, not skim. We make our formula in our own factories in Iowa, Oregon, and Pennsylvania, using a small-batch manufacturing process that works to preserve the integrity of our ingredients. We ran the largest clinical trial by a new infant formula company in 25 years and clinically proved benefits like easier digestion, less gas, and softer poops versus a leading infant formula. We were the first infant formula company to earn the Clean Label Project Purity Award. And while we've put a lot into ByHeart, there's a long list of things you won't see on our ingredient list, like no corn syrup, no maltodextrin, no GMO ingredients, no soy, no palm oil. ByHeart, a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com.
1: Welcome back to the Uncovered Podcast. I'm Beram Kazi. You can find me at Def Mango on Twitter. And with me, of course, is Jared Kimber, who is everywhere. Now, uh, we have to talk about the Ashes Rogue Ball and overrates, over but there's a super chat, Jared. You want me to take that on? Uh, why don't we keep that to later? Um, All right. Let's,
2: uh, wh- what do we do, overrates or Ashes Rogue yeah, Ball? Well, I'll, I'll
1: start with the Rogue Ball, right? So... We the all know ball. that Ricky Ponting wasn't really pleased with that ball change and Usman Khwaja also voiced his dissent. And then mm-hmm. Zach Rawley went on and he rubbed, rubbed salt into those wounds when he said that, yeah, it probably made a big difference. Now, this was something that Ponting, want, Ponting wanted to get investigated, you know. And then the owner of Dukes has actually responded that he will have this investigated because his name is on the line. And it's interesting because there's this theory running that the ball was five years old or something. Now... Moin Ali struck thrice with that ball, the one that was five years old. And I mean, sure, I see a little bit of the point, but surely, like, I just feel this is blown out of proportion a bit. I mean, what about you?
2: I think the ball definitely did something that the old ball didn't.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And I think I have seen that happen roughly 1,500 times in my career as a professional cricket writer. <laughs> right? It's yeah. so... I just... I. That's the bit that is fascinating to me. Is like, wait, it's a bit like the besto one. We're just like, mm. whoa, oh, I can't believe this happened. And then we see all this footage of besto drawing similar things, and other, yeah. and uh, and then McC- um, then we get the McCullum thing. It's like, yeah, because mm. these things happen all the time, right? Mm. It's th- you can get a ball that's twenty five overs old, and both balls are twenty five overs old, and um, one does something and one doesn't. Right. Mm. we've seen I've seen teams who are swinging the ball around but they're a little bit worried that the ball's going a bit soft, get it replaced and get the new one to come out, which looks newer and it doesn't do anything. Mm. Right. Yes. These things happen all the time, mm-hmm. I, mean, I, I got a message from from a friend in Australia. I hope you're gonna talk about, you know, this yeah, controversy. You mentioned and I was like, that. No. Why what? What? <laughs> what are you talking about? This happens all the time. Mm. The, the one thing I would say is I think the umpire's made a mistake in the fact that
1: quite clearly it didn't look like it matched the other ball. Yeah. Right? This one had the, you know, sticker and everything. Well, not sticker, but the but it was imprint bigger. on. But yeah. to be fair, it still did stuff for about 50
2: overs, whereas the other one mm-hmm. wasn't hadn't done anything at any stage, right? Like, yeah. those things do happen. You, you know, it, that is part of the genius of a cricket ball. We don't actually know exactly how each individual ball is going to react. So mm-hmm. I do think the umpires made a mistake. That said, the umpires make several mistakes every day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And a lot of those mistakes influence cricket games, right? This isn't like anything new or rare or whatever. And if they made a mistake on the amount of the, the balls that they chose and, and it had something to do with the fact that Surrey had, cause it would be Surrey who would have produced the, the, the balls. So for instance, those balls aren't test balls. I don't know if you know mm. this, right? They I know, are I know. I balls that are used that for first class cricket, right? Hmm. And so most, There isn't, like, a special test ball that's different to a first-class ball. They're exactly the same thing. Those balls Mm. are shipped out. Surrey need to know how many balls they need to have, you know, for all the Surrey games, uh, any games that they've going to have played. And then they go through them. And then they're going to look at the old balls. Because otherwise they would need a ball from five years ago, right? Because Mm. how many many balls would they have that would be 25 overs old, right? Like, that's how these things work. The the weird thing is that the umpire probably didn't get one that matched. Now, whether there was a better one that matched in that box or not, and maybe the one that was forty five overs old would have matched better, mm. but actually they were like, "Well, we can't give them a a, a an <laughs> ball twenty five twenty overs old. We don't know the full thing." This is where Dukes is a better organization than the ICC, right? <laughs> because we saw this when the balls went soft during the start of baseball last year. Owner of Dukes comes out. It says, we knew the balls were soft. We told everyone beforehand. There's not much we can do. Hmm. Sorry. Next batch will be better. And they have been. So he was hmm. right. Um, again, on the front foot, we will
1: look into this. We don't want our bad name. But where's the ICC? Interesting. Yeah, you're right. Where and, are they? And plus, people is there have said umpires? that, if anything, Surrey is responsible, right? Because they are in charge of the ball. So they're not even taking any ownership of this. Like, they've just stepped back, backed out. Okay, you guys take care of it. Not our problem.
2: Even if Surrey is responsible, right? Is Was there a way to ask for more balls? Did the umpires make a mistake? Mm. Did the umpires pick up the wrong ball? Mm. Right? All these things are possible. They never explain anything. And so they allow for what is a fucking nonsensical, stupid, non-story... To go, when did the test match finish, man? Was it a week ago?
0: Well, how can we still be talking about this?
2: (laughs) How on (laughs) earth can we be talking about this non-story? How stupid do you need to be as an organization to not just go, this happened, let's move on, Hmm. right? Yeah. If an umpire makes a mistake with an LBW, we don't talk about it a week later like this, right? Mm -hmm. We can be at the exact same point for the balls and everything else. Anyway. It's so stupid. And like, do you the amount of times I've watched Australia play in a test match hmm. and they've got a ball that's gone a bit soft, right? And it probably doesn't need to be replaced, but they keep hmm. giving it to the umpire and eventually, you know, the cuffs it doesn't go through the right cuff and goes through the other cuff It comes out. Suddenly hmm. Australia's got a ball that's like a friggin' rubber ball bouncing everywhere. There's a bunch of edges off the top of the bat um, and they clean up a side. They didn't say Ricky Ponzi complaining about all those, hmm. right? Didn't say Ricky Ponzi complaining when Australia had had the better of ball changes. Right in this series, at times when Australia had a ball that wasn't really doing anything, they give it away. They they got a ball suddenly
1: it jagged off the seam a little bit more straight away. Hmm. These things happen all the time. Anyway, yeah, I mean it's it's fairly routine. And talking about stupid things that have happened in this Ashes, I think the rates thing is also. I mean, at least the hue and cry. It seems quite farcical to me because look. Over the course of the ashes, England and Australia both have been docked points. England have been docked 19. Australia have been docked 10. And again, Usman Khwaja has raised his dissent. The latest is Stuart Broad. And, and hear me out. This, this is what Broady said. He said that, a series which was so competitive and it was 2-2 and England won two test matches, to walk away with nine points doesn't seem right because of the entertainment provided. Why, is all of, why are all of these parameters that are fairly routine with test cricket all of a sudden being criticized in the aftermath of the series, whereas this, these protocols have been fairly standard throughout? And shouldn't the focus be towards bowling the overs on time? Like, I'm just lost for words a bit.
2: I would love to see um, Shahid Afridi come back now and for Pakistan to only you know bowl four overs in a day, but because Afridi's out there and he's biting a ball and he's slogging wildly, <laughs> everyone's like, "Well, doesn't overrates don't matter because he's so entertaining." Mm. It's, just, it's <laughs> fucking nonsense again. Um, the broad one, I can't even bother dealing with that because it's so obviously stupid, right? Mm. And also, it, it shows you that he's thinking about the Test matches twenty five days. Mm. Most people can only afford a ticket to one day. If they yeah. go to the day and you bowl seventy eight overs because you're all scratching your asses, right? <laughs> that person still misses out on what they have mm. paid for, right? And I'm not an overeats zealot mm. or anything like that. Mm. Like I understand that the, the other side of it, and I would say I would go a, lo- a step further, which is that again, to go take it back to the ICC. They've allowed mm. this. It's happened on their on their watch, and they don't do anything to stop it. And Mm. they basically allow people to do it. It's not the bowling team. It's also the Mm. batting team that is getting away with this. And when I was with Scotland, they were waving away um, unspecified drinks breaks for players on Mm. 38-degree UAE days, right, when we shouldn't have (laughs) even been playing cricket. Kyle Kutzer ended up in hospital after one game Mm. because he was dehydrated, right? And and yet a player can change their gloves every two overs in a test match Mm. and nothing happens. There's unscheduled drinks breaks all the time, right? Mm. But here's the best one for Usman Khawaja. And I love Usman Khawaja. And I think Mm. he's a very good person, a very smart person. You know, he had that YouTube page and and everything Mm. else. I'm really interested to see what he becomes as a cricket talker and everything else. But when Mm. he says things like, oh, you know, we were trying as hard as we could to get through the overs, I watched Pat Cummins take his fucking shoe off, (laughs) right? His fucking shoe off mid-over so they could delay the game. I watched Ben Stokes purposely schedule nine overs in in an hour because he wanted to slow down Australia. That wasn't entertaining. So what mm-hmm. they're talking about is actually bullshit. Right? <laughs> they want to slow the game down from a tactical point of view, and they've been caught doing that. There's no point complaining now, right? Yeah. They have to get involved um, in these things and earlier on. So yeah, I'm not. I've I, I understand that rates are not the most i don't think it's as black and white as our previous generation Mm. thought it was and concussion substitutes and you know all these sorts of things and checking if the ball's out of shape every five minutes all these sorts of things Mm. fine i get it international cricket has changed and it is different than first class cricket and it takes longer to bowl it over fine but if you are Stopping to change your shoe, or if you were changing your beard, or was it what was it? Um, at Headingley where Ben Stokes was having a 30 second discussion with the bowler between each ball. I'm sorry, mm-hmm. you deserve to be penalized, and I don't give a fuck if you manage to bowl the team out within 80 overs. You're taking the piss, you're making the game more boring while telling us it's
1: more entertaining. You can do it. I mean, in Pat Cummins' defence, he did say that Australia haven't had an overrate problem and maybe the intensity of the series and this and that caused it and they'll have a look into it. But the here's intensity an interesting
2: of one. him taking his shoe off.
1: <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> but here's an interesting one. Right? Ricky Ponting and Nasser Sen. And by the way, Nasser Sen is a big, you know, he's, he's fully in favour of strict penalties for overrate. So he's in that camp. Both of them have kind of alluded to the f- or well their opinion that the umpire needs to take onus of this and they need to speed up the game or help speed up the game. Do you think that makes sense because it kind of does to me? Well, that's what they did in the, in the qualifiers when I was hmm. in
2: Scotland, right? The umpires were really clear, you're not going to be able to send this message out. Hmm. You're not going to be able to have a drink. you're not going to be able to change your gloves every five minutes. Uh, and it did change things. So yes. Hmm. But my question to you, Bayram, is Mm. this has been going on since the 80s, Mm. right? Right. If umpires were going to do it at the international level, at the top international level, I should say, not at the associate level where they can bully people who are, you know, Mm. part-time professional cricketers and and all that sort of stuff, why would we think they're about to suddenly do it? I I think the only way to really do it is in-game penalties. Mm. And I do think we'll end up with a pitch clock. Um, I don't really see I, I I think part of the I think part of the skill of being in, especially let's say a T twenty bowler, right? If you're bowling at the death and you've got ten minutes to think about each ball, I think you're gonna be pretty good. But that's <laughs> not yeah. how these things go, right? There should be a time pressure on you. The game mm. should be moving on. I remember playing in a club game once where I was playing in England. I played this guy and he, he came down the wicket and slug swept me for six. And they lost the ball. And I had about three minutes to think about my plan of what to bowl to him next ball. Hmm. And I, I figured he was probably going to play more or less the same shot. I was like, and I, and I got him. And I turned to someone, beside me and I said, if I had three minutes to plan for every ball, I'd be so much better. Yeah. But that's not the point of the game, right? Absolutely. There is a time constraint to the game. We do run out of daylight hours. there is
1: rain element. there are all these different there things. are time constraints to games which don't rely on daylight. I mean, you look at basketball, right? So I mean, surely cricket has some sort of innovation coming up with that with respect to that. But anyway, I think that is the end of the ashes. We are not going to talk about the ashes again on the uncovered podcast and
2: until we They'll- talk about the ball again next week.
1: Until we talk about the ball next week. Anyway, we'll take another break and come back with some Pakistan news. This is biram Kazi and with me is Jared Kimber. And you're watching The Uncovered Podcast. All right, welcome to The Uncovered Podcast. This is biram Kazi and Jared Kimber is with me. And what a brilliant advertisement. Now, if you are a batter and you do not like Knicks, Manscaped is for you. But anyway, Jared, you've got a super chat up. And uh, it says, why can't India produce genuine pace bowlers, 145 plus? What can they do better at junior level? So your thoughts?
0: Yeah.
2: I I think this this feels like and I, I get this question a lot. Is this legit in a world that Jasper Bromura and Umran Malik and Prashik Krishnar and uh even Shami yeah.
1: is well bassy.
2: Yeah, I wondered if he was over ninety as well. Um mm. they had Varunara. I think mean, ten years ago, I think this was pretty fair wasn't it There really weren't as yeah. many genuine fast bowls around indian cricket at that point um i think that i've always thought that in pakistan compared to india because we're just mm. looking at two asian uh, places there yeah that in pakistan you kind of get something from the pitches if you bowl you know mm. if you bowl very fast and maybe in india you don't And so the whole Mm -hmm. thought that one side was meat, 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 eat meat, and the other side was vegetarian probably had less to do with that and had more to do with the pitches. Sri Lanka haven't had a lot of very fast bowlers. Bangladesh haven't had a lot of very fast bowlers. England haven't had a lot of very fast bowlers consistently throughout the history Mm -hmm. of their game. Uh, New Zealand, probably another country without a lot of fast bowlers until they changed their pitches. I would say that the pitches are the most important thing. You know, In Australia, there are a lot of pitches where you have to bowl fast to be of any use. You know, uh, probably a similar thing happened in the West Indies traditionally and in South Africa. Mm. Um, And as we said, you know, Pakistan still has that. Uh, although, I, I mean, domestically, for all the 90 mile an hour teenage sensations, there's a lot of like 78 mile an hour oh, Pakistani yes. rider. And it always has been. If you go through the history of their mm-hmm. cricket. I uh, remember I was talking to... um Jeremy Coney so he batted with was it was you and Chatfield when they chased that mm-hmm. score down in um uh to, to win the game nine wickets down one of the great 10th wicket partnerships of all time and mm-hmm. he was sort of saying he said that was a macram but they didn't actually have anyone else that, you know so <laughs> i think it was you and chatfield who was batting with who said um you, that, you know Jeremy said to him who 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 do you not want to face it was a macram i'll be fine <laughs> against the others so even pakistan's
1: always had that you know that sort of side of things um, Even when, so you know, think Pakistan's first string them. bowlers, they they get injured, you see those guys come in yeah. test cricket and not do too well. So that's a solid shout. Yeah, I agree. Yeah,
2: so I do think that there is, I think pitches play a much bigger part in, mm. I've got this huge video that I've never got around to quite making, but it's, it's about left arm finger spin. Hmm. And but essentially what I I think you can do is I think you can show how different cricket conditions are around the world by the kinds of left arm finger spinners that various countries, uh, mm. make. And I think from that perspective, it's exactly the same for fast bowlers, right? So it's very hard if you're an England player to bowl fast consistently, because what happens is you play an absolute shit ton of cricket, right? Mm. A lot of three and four day cricket when other countries don't, um, And you plan a lot of soft pitches where actually that's not the best thing is to come in and bowl at ninety miles an hour. The best Mm. thing is to bowl seam up and wobble it around. So I do think that that plays a huge part. And we don't always uh understand that or 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 um think about it when we're when we're doing that.
1: Yeah, and and plus, like with all due respect, Dhruv Raman Singh, I think your question was more pertinent maybe a little while back because I think India produced a good amount of fast bowlers, 145 plus. And I would like to plug in the MRF Pace Academy, right? I think that has also really, really helped over the years. And I think Dennis Lilly or Glenn McGrath, one of those guys, like they they visit every year. It was Lilly, now it's McGrath.
2: So it's it's really dumb.
1: That's a great resource to have and you'll always get, you know, those diamonds in the rough who will get polished in that academy. And I think India's for now at least and for the time being they're more sorted in the fast bowling department than they've ever been. But anyway yeah,
2: I, I think you could hmm. make a you could make a pretty solid argument that India is the worst place to consistently bowl seam in the world, mm. right? And they did yeah. the one other thing they did try was they ch- tried to make their wickets more um, seam friendly. And they had a couple of years in Aranji where Uno and a few of the other guys were taking lots of wickets. That's actually not what you want if you want your balls to ball over 90 miles an hour. You actually mm. want to make them more batting friendly, but with some sort of pace or carry, which is what New Zealand did. Um but but anyway, I digress. You were gonna move on. For some reason, I've dragged this into seventy-three. <laughs> True, Drew calls up to ask about India, and I start talking about Jeremy Coney beating New Zealand <laughs> in a random test. And not, not so New Zealand. You, you just came back from vacation.
1: Be. You just came back from vacation. You you have yeah. a lot of talk about, about cricket. And Apparently. I have to share with you with respect to Pakistan cricket and the news that's coming out. So, Pakistan has gotten clearance to play in India, play the World Cup. And that is the least important news coming out of Pakistan cricket, which is, it speaks volumes of the nature of, you know, news in Pakistan with respect to the sport. And, well... So, I'm sure you heard that there's a new chairman in town. Zaka Ashraf has replaced Najam Sethi, and he formed a technical committee comprising of Ms. Baul Haq, Inzamam, and Muhammad Hafiz. And they are pretty much like overlooking. Everything in cricket, like from the domestic cricket structure to whether or not the current coaching ma- you know setup or management setup will you know remain as we move forward. and Zakashif has said this that there is no guarantee that the coaching staff and management will carry on till the World Cup. So that's just Pakistan doing Pakistan things, I suppose. and next thing you know, give it like four or five days. All of a sudden, one of those members of the technical committee is the new chief selector. Inzamam is the new chief selector once again in his second tenure. He's replaced uh, Harun Rashid, who was Sethi's dinosaur, overlooking Mickey, Bradburn and Hassan Chima. Those guys have retained their spots. And once again, you know, I, I don't know, like, I'm not sure if you'd be surprised at all. Because in my opinion, Pakistan's just staying true to that chaotic brand of governance that they're so famous for.
2: No, I'm not surprised. When I saw Mispa's name originally, I was like, this is a bad sign. And I don't mean it's a bad sign to get Mispa back involved because, mm-hmm. look, he's obviously a next-level cricket brain and, you know, he, yeah. he really thinks through, through things and I'm a big fan. But I just felt there was – I felt like once they thought they needed to go back to big-name former players, mm. it was going to start really poorly. Um, putting yourself – putting yourself on your own on a committee So let me start that again Putting, getting yourself onto a committee and your first major decision is to make one of the three of you from that committee the chairman of selectors is a horrendous idea and yeah. if they that should have been run back past the people who put them on that committee and those mm-hmm. people should have said no
0: you cannot yeah. do that
2: because that will make us look like absolute laughingstock mm-hmm. idiot morons please don't mm-hmm. do that So. There's, there's the second issue. The third issue is that, look, Inzi didn't watch a lot of cricket when he was selecting the team the previous time. Again, brilliant cricketer, uh, hmm. you know, incredible figure within Pakistan. Don't get me wrong, but hmm. is he going to do the work? And what, what's going to happen when Hassan Chima comes to him with advanced metrics? Inzi, yeah. can you have a look at these true, true um, strike rates? We, we need you to have a look. <laughs> do
1: you know what I mean? Like, yeah, and, and Inzi is, you know, he's on record in his previous stint as Chief Selector, where he says that he trusts his eye more than data. He said these words. And I mean, Inzi I grew up, you know, admiring the guy. He, he was had a great one of those eye. Cricketers. Yeah, I mean, he did. And he was one of those cricketers who made me fall in love with the game. But he does have a bit of an authoritarian sort of approach whenever yeah. he's in a position of power. So I'm not sure what that power dynamic will be because he's worked with Mickey before. And I don't know if you remember, but Inzi chief selector would be traveling with the team. He would be there at the training sessions, which is not the job of a chief selector. You need to be looking at your domestic Performances and see who is going to be the up and coming, you know, player for Pakistan and where certain gaps can be filled. So I'm not sure. I have my apprehensions with respect to this. And yeah, I mean, I just hope that Hassan Jima still is taken into consideration because the data stuff is absolutely imperative in this day and age. It's it's not just the day It's just. It reminds me of
2: when Merv Hughes was made selector of the Australian team, (laughs) and Merv Hughes said, "Yeah, I don't watch much cricket um, anymore." Uh, because I can't watch it on TV because I don't learn much. Hmm. And I was like, well, you don't go to any games, mate. Like, <laughs> what are you actually doing? And again, like, Insy has that kind of, oh, I, I trust my... Okay, mm. so if you're watching every single young prospect and you've got a bunch of notes and thoughts on it, and if I can mm. throw a young player at you and you could tell me what their best usage is, what their three-year plan for them is, what the seven-year plan for them is, who they remind you of, you know, what conditions they'll be better on, fine. But if you mm. can't do that and you're not watching as much cricket as you should be and you're not listening to the data, What? <laughs> but more importantly than that, it doesn't matter if he's a good chairman of selectors or not, because hmm. even if he comes in and he, f- and he comes up with a bunch of great decisions based on his eye, he's going to fuck up everything anyway, because he hmm. put himself, he was moved from one committee to another where he- he's already going to pull down that coaching structure. If they're talking about not even having that coaching structure around by the World Cup, this is why Mickey Arthur didn't want to be a full-time coach of Pakistan. So yeah,
1: how are absolutely. you going to get the
2: next Mickey Arthur to sign up?
1: Well, right. I hope they special. stick around because hey. the, I, I really do hope that Mickey and Bradburn and the entire staff oh, well, management sticks around because, look, Zaka Ashraf alluded that the committee will decide and their, you know, job positions aren't entirely safe. But the fact that Bradburn, Mickey and Chima have been retained with Inzi tells me that they might be looking at, you know, make, like maybe some stability with respect to the team management. And yes. really, Pakistan would benefit from that. But, but the point
2: is that if I'm Mickey Arthur, Right, and I, I, I've got his number. I, I almost messaged him today just to ask mm. him what he was thinking. But then I thought, if I come on this podcast, I don't want to betray him mm-hmm. or anything. But if I'm Mickey Arthur, I am now thinking, well, wow, this is going to end very soon, mm. and it's going to end messily. And one of two things are going to happen: either we're going to start to lose, and I'm the first one they're going to flick, mm. right? Or there's going to be a political power dynamic, and even if I'm winning. They're going to find a way to just push me over to the side. They're going to say that Inzi or Misbah or Mohamed Afiz mm. right, is the person who should be running this,
1: right? And M- Misbah important- and Mickey have some history as well, right? Because I know. Misbah's the guy who replaced Mickey. So right? there's some drama. So, so from that perspective, but I think the more important
2: thing for me is what they were trying to do is move towards a professional modern cricket structure. Now, you and mm. I did a whole episode on this, and we have our reservations, and, and, mm. you know, th- that, that's absolutely fine. But what they were trying to do is move Pakistan to a professional modern system. Right. Getting a committee with three former players on it who can make all the decisions is mm. exactly what has fucked Pakistan cricket up a million times. I don't know why I'm swearing so yeah. much in this episode, but it's probably because I'm <laughs> hanging <laughs> around with my kids. Right. <laughs> but that is what has been the issue. Hmm. No one is saying that Indy is not intelligent or that Misbah is not intelligent or that Muhammad Afiz coming straight out of the game. Can't add a lot, right? Where is the professional structure? If you spend all this money to bring this whole new system in and then while they're winning, you change it. And why have hmm. they changed it? They haven't changed it because they think that this new structure is wrong or hmm. is losing. They've changed it because a new chairman has come in and he wants to put his people in charge. That yep. is everything that is consistently wrong with pakistan
1: cricket they and it have all comes so down to the talent fact. but you yeah. can't overcome idiocy absolutely and it all boils down to the fact that the prime minister is the patron in chief of the pcb it's not an independent body it's all a lot of like riffraff and everyone wants to stake their own claim and bringing their bring in their own people and nothing different is happening right now and look with respect to Inzi I'm not saying he's not capable of any good Inzi is still Inzi right he's probably a better judge of all of this than I am but you know as far as the eye test is concerned we've seen him prefer stroke makers over people who know how to grind it out in the past Fawad Alam is a prime example of this he had the domestic numbers he even did well when he eventually came to test cricket you know once Inzi was gone and yeah, like he was a guy who was averaging 55 in first class cricket. And Inzi just did not like the way he batted. So Fawad Alam was not in that team. So these are the, my apprehensions, but it's not just bad news from Pakistan. There's some good news as well. The co- uh, contracted players for Pakistan, you know, the top yeah. brass and everyone, they are expecting a hike in their, you know, paychecks and quite a big one, like four times what they were earning. Four times what they yeah, were earning. Isn't it in this? Because of the, I think I can't remember who wrote this
2: article, but someone told me that of, I was a Usman who wrote the article that yeah, said, yeah, it's yeah. not four times when you factor in the, what the Pakistan economy is doing. The Isn't exchange that fair?
1: rate and everything. Yeah. yeah, that is fair, but it's still the biggest, if, if it gets passed, of course, it will be the biggest hike in history. And also, you know, Pakistan cricketers are the worst paid cricketers. If you look at the top nations internationally, yeah. so this is quite significant, but here's the catch, out Now, I think, oh, well, I'm quite sure, actually, because Osman's article also mentioned it, that, you know, this is coming from a place from the PCB where they want to limit these players playing in international franchise, uh, sorry, franchise T20 leagues. So the top players would be allowed to play one other league, uh, of course, in addition to the PSL and the, Lower rung of that would be like two more leagues, stuff like that. Do you think that this is a good ploy? Because look, burnout is a big thing in this day and age. Pakistan cricketers don't play the IPL, so they are looking to play everything else, right? They want to get that money because they're not going to earn the same sort of money playing for Pakistan. Now, if you attract them with better contracts and more you know, uh, heftier retainers on a monthly basis... That's definitely something that is going to make them contemplate that how much do we want to play now? How much do we want to rest? And this is a very interesting turn with respect to the proliferation of T20 cricket, because if this is the direction that boards are going to take, because Pakistan cricketers were underpaid. Think about a board doing this where cricketers aren't underpaid. And now you have a completely different scenario.
2: What, is the, what do you think the top contract or Pakistani cricketer will be?
1: It is going to be four and a half million Pakistani rupees per what, month. What's that in USD? Ah, uh, it's probably around, it's it's more than 10K.
2: Yeah. A month?
1: It's more than 10K.
2: Yeah. So so the top Pakistani cricketer will get about 120,000 US dollars a year. Is that right? No,
1: let's make that uh, 15, oh, well, let's, yeah, let's say 15K per month. So that would come to 150, 180. Let's say 180k per year. Okay. And these are the best Pakistan cricketers, like the the Shaheens and the Rizwans and the Barbers, the all format Kings. Those are the guys who are going to make bank
2: mostly. So when I worked in the IPL, uh, not the IPL, the CPL, I think the top three, the top players were getting um, 120 or 145,000 US dollars
0: Hmm.
2: for six weeks' work. Yeah. (laughs)
1: <laughs> I think that that tells you the whole story then
2: <laughs> so and that's not a particularly high, well-paid league right like mm. so um, you know from, from that perspective what Pakistan have done doesn't change anything and if I was a player mm. I'd still be considering going freelance if I thought I could make mm. my money from that um, etc one thing I would say is that one thing that and I don't think teams international teams cash mm. in on this if you want sponsorship if you want brands to align with you, your best chance now is either being a national team player or an IPL team player. You ain't getting, if you're the best paid player in the CPL, you're not getting any brand deals back in Pakistan, right? No one gives Hmm. a shit, right? Yeah. Um, So I think that's a big thing that um, national teams are still missing out. Your overall point is, makes the most sense, right? The problem is that at a certain level, I don't think anyone's going to have enough money to out, no cricket going to have enough money to out uh, bid the Ambani family,
0: hmm, right? No. So you
2: can't really keep people away from IPL cricket, right? Perhaps you can keep them away from major league cricket or the Big Bash or mm. the South African league or, you know, some of those other leagues, perhaps. And for Pakistani cricket, it's a little bit weird because they can't, where the money is going in cricket. Less Pakistani players are going to be able to play there. Right. Mm-hmm. So we had Pakistani players playing in the major league cricket. Maybe we don't in five years time.
0: Yeah. Right? We Who don't knows?
2: know. Right. If, if you have American Indian money, maybe you do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If you have Indian money, you don't. Right. So these things are all, you know, you, you need to work that out. But yeah, I don't think there is a national team who's going to be able to afford. So the reason that it's very easy for people in those major leagues to make money is that the IPL does not have to pay for what would there be in India? Uh, Let's say there's 1 million amateur cricketers under Mm. the age of 23. Right. The IPL does not have to pay. The IPL owners, I should say, do not have to pay for that. Hmm. Right. They don't have to make sure that there's a coach in Uttar Pradesh who's got his badge. (laughs) <laughs> they don't right. have to worry about all those sorts of things, right? The same way that the NBA doesn't have to worry about, you know, uh, what sort of coaching um, people have in in, in Slovenia. That there's a Slovenian freak and they want to get involved, they'll get involved, right? <laughs> and, you know, the same with football, right? Exact, it works exactly the same way. It's very hard when you have everyone on your payroll from every, you know, what, what every amount of money that you have is going towards cricket grounds it's going towards reg- uh, you know um, insurance fees it's going towards whatever that may be that you want to then also start paying your players twice as much four times as much yeah. eight times as much the sort of money that is going to stick keep them away from some of those leagues so i think it's a losing battle I think it's, I mean, it's ridiculous. It's scandalous what Pakistan cricket was paying their players beforehand. Mm -hmm. So I think that's a great thing that that has changed. I don't think this is going to change the inevitable just because, uh, there's too
1: much money out there. Yeah, that's fair. And I mean, like you mentioned that maybe in the future, these franchise leagues, maybe not all of them opt for Pakistani players just because of the politics of things. So they'd want to get as much exposure or franchise T20 league exposure as they possibly can. And even if it's like the middling or lower, franchise leagues, they'd want to earn that paycheck because then they are the star performers over there and they would get decent money. But anyway, one last news, I guess, with respect to Pakistan is that former Test cricketer and, well, chairman Ijaz Butt, who was actually chairman at quite a tumultuous period for Pakistan cricket, you know, the entire spot-fixing scandal and all of that, is a controversial figure, or was a controversial figure? He has passed on, so rest in peace. Um, any interaction that you ever had with him, Jared?
2: No, I I made fun of him a lot because he was <laughs> he made a lot of mistakes when I was, mm-hmm. um, in the early days, and I know I made fun of him quite a bit. Um, was he in charge of PCB when they released that Shaw Bakhtar had genital warts? I want to say I don't he, think so. I think he is might he? have been. I think uh, he was around.
1: I, could I think be wrong. that guy was Naseem Ashraf because there was this one guy who had like beef with Shoaib Bakhtar because Shoaib Bakhtar said, according to Shoaib, yeah. that he didn't bowl to that guy's kid in the nets, something like that, nephew in the nets, something of the sort. Maybe that's just Shoaib's
2: story. He did something really, really stupid and mm-hmm. I want to say it was around 2008, but I cannot mm-hmm. remember what it was or what the full situation of it was. But look, he. Uh, for those who don't know, I, I always think that his, the problem is that We've we've already talked about this with Pakistan cricket for so long that for someone like him, he ends up getting remembered as sort of a bad administrator, mm. um, uh, you know, person. But this is someone who, he was a wicket keeper, I think. I was, I'm going to say that's right. Yeah. So was, he played eight wow. tests um, and didn't do a lot. But in first class cricket, played 67 games, made almost 4,000 runs, an average of 34. He's, he's involved with a lot of um, really important tours and things uh, for... Um, Pakistan, there's a, there's a really, really important moment that he has. I want to say in, um, I want to say in something controversial happened in, in Australia and he got, you know, heavily involved with that, um, a couple of times when it would have been easier for someone not to, and I've just had a little key with was chairman in 2008 of mm. um pakistan cricket and that was the time of shah Das' genital wars <laughs> so i'm not saying he had anything to do with it directly but mm. it wasn't maybe the best run organization at that time mm. but look this is someone who served he would not have made a lot of money from pakistan cricket let's be honest and yeah. yet when would he have started his first class career 1959 and was still involved mm. with cricket you know 40 or so years later you make that a certain argument that Perhaps people like him should have been moved on quicker and that would have helped Pakistani mm. cricket. But he was a servant of the game. Um, and, you know, for that and that alone and Shil Bakhtar's genital warts, I think we have to.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, rest in peace, Ijaz. But for all of your ills, you have still served Pakistan cricket. Anyway, we just have one thing left and we're going to quickly go over this because I don't think this is going to take much time anyway, Jared. It's about the World Cup scheduling because Do we we're have one? months away. Yeah, yeah, yeah. man. Months do we have away dates? from, we we do have dates, but the dates are we are sure they're going to be those dates? No, because that's the issue, right? All of these games are getting moved because apparently they're religious events that have to take place. But those religious events aren't just coming up; they happen every year, right? I find it so baffling that the BCCI and Jay Shah, who is quote unquote the big boss, right? Sorov Ganguly was never the boss; it was always Jay Shah, and. The fact that, you know, they have knowledge of these events and you've set in or penciled in a schedule and now there are changes to that schedule. And right now I know the Bengal Cricket Association, you know, the CAB, they've mentioned that they want to move the England-Pakistan game because of another religious event. So these festivities could have been taken into account beforehand. And I can't believe that such a cash-rich, you know, cricket board, and this is such a big occasion, cricket is a religion in India and you're hosting the World Cup. How can you drop the ball on these things? Why do we still not know about these dates?
2: We we should have known the location of every ground probably nine months ago, 10 months ago, um, which would have allowed cricket fans to buy the tickets um, as soon as the FAs became available to them. Um, It's ridiculous the way that these things happen. I think for people who don't travel to Indian cricket a lot, you know, if you talk to people like the Bami Army or some of the other tour, you know, touring um, uh, organizations, they hate Indian cricket, right? Mm. They uh, they don't and they don't hate India, and they don't hate the Indian team. They specifically hate Indian cricket and the way that it schedules these events. It mm. does it all the time. They don't care about fans, right? Mm. They do not care about Indian fans, and in this case, they don't care about any fans. So why are yeah. you hosting the World Cup, right? And it happens. Every time and it's just not good enough. And I don't know if they need to hire someone whose job it is just to make sure that because you can ha- y- you should have someone in your department whose job it is to liaise with the local, um, uh, you know, police, uh, traffic
0: mm-hmm. hotels,
2: whatever that may be to be able right. to say, okay, this is, this is what we are planning. We're going to have this game here. It's going to mean this many people, this many people will fly in. There be there be a lot of locals, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. That's how I've heard other World Cup, and, and it's not like the rest of the World Cup is usually handled brilliantly. But that's how I've heard other World Cup. It's disgusting to not do that, no. right? And I don't. It's funny to me how many Indian fans will protect in the BCCI when people attack it. It's like they don't care about you. Why are you defending them? They don't <laughs> yeah. care enough to make their stadiums work – Cup. There's enough money in Indian cricket to make every stadium one of the world's best stadiums, and they don't—they don't even improve the things
1: that they should obviously improve. There was a piece on this on Cricket Info very recently. The fan experience in India, apparently, it's terrible, and the yeah. queues outside stadiums and stuff like that. I mean, this is India. They make the most money in cricket. Why are these things not sorted yet? I, I couldn't really... get into an
2: IPL game. I had tickets, hmm. and I couldn't get into the IPL game because there was one gate open at. Um, Oh God, where was it, Chinnaswamy? Hmm. So we got there like forty-five minutes to an hour before the game, and we missed the start, hmm. right? Because they had one gate open, and it was absolutely ridiculous what they do to their fans. And you get this—you know, we what was it? There was a women's game recently in England where. They didn't have enough staff. You know, we've seen the MCG do this sometimes on the fifth days of tests where they think no one will turn up and people do. I'm not saying people, other people don't make mistakes, but they usually try and rectify them. The same yeah. things just keep happening every time in India. Don't, I just don't understand why and when you, the very basic things can't be
1: sorted out there. And when you change the venues and dates, it impacts everything. It impacts the media, it impacts the team, it impacts travel plans, all of that stuff. When are we When are we going to train? And you can't have that a few months before the World Cup. I mean, if you have these blunders, you know, maybe six months to a year, or something around that time frame, I'll still understand. Okay, sure, you weren't aware yeah. of that religious event or festivity that you have every year. But come on, like, this is the BCCI and you were spending all of this time you know, bickering over the Asia Cup and figuring out how and where we're we going to host that. Exactly. And you'll drop the ball on the World Cup? That
2: I is think ridiculous. also, like, if they're not going to do all the preparation, right? And mm. they're not going to talk to all the local bodies, which clearly they haven't by the sound of it, or they mm-hmm. ignored them. I don't know, but it sounds like they haven't talked to them. Why not release all the locations a year in advance, right? And then yeah. wait for everyone to moan and change what you need to six months in <laughs> advance?
1: Why my wait point, right? this
2: long and still get it wrong? Hmm it's just so stupid and it's so frustrating and so for someone like me as a freelancer no if i if i pick this series i'm going to have to go last minute if i want to make sure nothing goes wrong right that shouldn't be how this game is run mm. and certainly with fans it shouldn't be how it's happening with fans you know most most very few freelancers go out for world cups although maybe you know this is not going to help any of them but usually you go out with your organization. Mm. There are a lot of organizations, especially outside of Asia, who are, I think there's one major English organization who is like going to send one journalist out to the World Cup because they were mm. saving it because England are then touring the West Indies and they want to send someone out to the West Indies as well. Don't give them more reason to send fewer people out there. It doesn't make any sense. If you want to host a World Cup, you want as many fans as possible Mm -hmm. and as much media as possible. That's the whole point of hosting a World Cup other than, uh, you know, trying to rig the picture so you win. (laughs) <laughs> and uh, also I mean, one more super chat by the way too man. oh
1: we do right then we'll just take that super chat and end things okay Dhruv Raman Singh again man you've been spending a lot of money today Dhruv thank you thank you Dhruv your point on lower order muscle hitters thoughts on Hunger Geeker and Harshit Rana in that mould Umran also working on it but not working so far I haven't seen much of those guys I've seen Hunger Geeker a bit I like him and I've also heard the story of how he wasn't originally a fast bowler love that that he's become one but yeah you can probably take or take
2: over. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think Harsh has, if I'm mistaken, I don't think he's actually made a lot of runs yet, has he? Like I don't I think uh I'd have to go back through his full stats, but my memory of him is not of someone who's made a lot of runs um so far. Look, I think it let's say there are let's say there are three good stories here. Hmm. There is no reason why this can't be a bigger thing and that it can't go on. Because what I would be saying to some of these players now, let's say Umran right we don't know exactly what umran's true worth is as a bowler he's still in development Mm -hmm. right but i would be saying to him you want to guarantee yourself right a little bit of extra cash every year can you learn how to hit sixes and perhaps that's what it needs to be is the uh, i remember you know talking to players once and they said that i was a lot more honest with them about their chances of you know, playing in teams and all this sort of stuff. And I, and I said, yeah, but I think you're used to dealing with coaches and coaches are trying to keep the spirit levels high and all this sort of stuff. I come up from a, from a perspective when I'm working with players of you are an individual who's come to this team. When you're out there in the field, you probably will be trying to win this game for the team. But you also want to make sure you get your next contract. You also want to make sure you play for your national team. You also want to make sure mm. you get a good sponsor and all these sorts of things. So... I want to know everything about you so that I can make you perform the way that I want you to on the field. I think that's the sorts of conversations that I'd love to have with some of these, you know, Indian players who are coming through, especially those bowlers who just be like, what is the point of you being able to chip the ball around um, an average 15 in one day or T20 cricket at a straight rate of 102? I'd rather you average eight, but hit a six every second time you walk out there, right? Yeah. I think you have to be honest at what cricket is. And what is most necessary? And I always go back to the old, you know, have a look at how many batters in the world come into cricket with a little bit of bowling skill and five to seven years in, don't do it anymore because they get paid to be um, batters. And if if you're in the best six batters in the country, you're going to have a long career, you know, even if you're in and out the team occasionally. Now you say to them, well, if you can bowl a little bit, we can actually give you 10%, 15%, 20% more on your salary Suddenly, Joe roots in the nets, trying to flick the ball both ways, and you know people are working on those skills a little bit more in a way that they weren't a generation before. Work out what people want, and I think that is the big thing at the moment. Is that it feels to me from the outside that Indian cricket is producing cricketers based on templates, whereas actually the better thing is to be like, well, okay, Umran could do this. Can we turn Umran into Ben Hilfenhaus? Which I know sounds like I'm slandering him, but I promise you, I'm not. <laughs>
1: Yeah, and just to add to that, I suppose, a bit, I would, of course, go back to Pakistan because, uh, of course, I've watched these players from very, very close. And I've looked at how, you know, their fast bowlers in particular, Shaheen Naseem, Haris Rauf, you can expect them to come out and hit a six. They often do. In mm. fact, even if you look at that India-Pakistan game in the World Cup, it was that Shaheen six, right, at the very end that took yep. them to somewhat of a respectable total. And you can count on these guys to whack it. They're not batters, but they are six hitters. And especially when you bat deep, If your tail can hit a six in limited overs cricket, I think you're absolutely sorted with respect to depth. And also, they're going to, you know, bail you out of difficult situations every now and then. So I think modern cricket requires all tailenders to have that sort of capability, particularly in limited overs cricket, to go out there and whack it. So not just Indian cricket. I think all countries should be looking at this. But anyway, that is a super long episode we're done with this Uncovered podcast. I'm Beram Kazi. You can find me at Def Mango on Twitter. With me is Jared Kimber. You can find him anywhere. We'll be back next week. I hope you guys enjoyed this one. That is all for this episode. Bye-bye.
2: Thanks for listening. This podcast has an ad-free version via Patreon, where there are many other extras as well, including a Discord channel. There's a link to those in the show notes. Please review, subscribe, and tell all your friends about our show. Word of mouth is the best way of making our podcast grow. If we had a guest on, chances are their socials are in the show notes. Please support everyone who comes on this show. I am Jared Kimber, and this is my network. But we also have hosts and co-hosts like Bharat Sundaraysan and Bayram Kazi. This network is overseen by Nick McCorriston. Each episode is produced by Ishit Kuberka at Sound Potion Studio. The team from 42 help us out with the video side. Orijoti, Sena Senapayi and Maida Akam, both producing podcasts, while Mukunda Bandretti is the head of our YouTube content. Do you make content but don't want to listen to yourself talk? Well, I get that. Memento FM's AI does all the listening for you. It picks out the highlights and it makes you sound far more amazing than you really are. Embrace Memento FM today.